This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Do Grief Differently, my 12-week in-person or online program that helps grievers who have suffered any type of loss to feel better. In Do Grief Differently, you learn new tools, education, and a method you can utilize the rest of your life. In this program, and with my guidance, you remove the pain of grief. The sadness will always be there because even in complicated relationships, we love but it's the pain of grief that keeps us stuck. Are you ready to do grief differently? Check out my website, www.theunleashedheart.com to learn more. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Jen Kidwell. She is a lawyer and seminary trained pastor type who specializes in creating wills and trusts for families. She uses a value-based approach to create comprehensive plans and helps clients reflect on their legacies and their most important relationships. Estate planning is more than a series of decisions. It's an opportunity to engage with big questions about what a good life and a good death look like for you. Jen loves to be invited into these conversations with her clients and finds her work fulfilling and meaningful. And it's very much needed. And I, as an end-of-life doula, Although I'm not working in that capacity yet, I'm still trying to figure out what that's going to look like for me. But education, I know, is a huge piece of it because so many people don't realize that it is possible to have a good death and that and all the stuff that goes into it that we've kind of left until we have to face it when we're emotional. And those are that's really not the best time to make those important decisions. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, these decisions are always going to have emotional components, right? But when you're approaching them more on your terms and you have a sense of agency around it, and you're not also trying to feel all of these other things, I think people really, when, when they have space to do it, I think is, is really the, is really the best time. Yeah. So I'm really excited to dive deep into this conversation. Of course, we're going to talk about your losses and what has kind of led to this work that you're doing. And so let's start there. Grief touches every single human being, whether you're LeBron James or Jen Kidwell, or, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, it touches everyone. And so how has grief touched your life? Well, I mean, I I think... In a lot, I mean, in a lot of the ways that 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 people maybe are introduced to it at first, I um, the first kind of loss I remember was my grandfather back when I was in um, high school, and then uh, my 
my last remaining grandparent, uh, my grandmother passed away this January, you know, experiencing these things is, is so different at different times in your life, especially um, after having had some some training and some, you know, a lot more, a lot more life, a lot more experience um, in these things. And so, yeah, like lots of journeys. And I think grief also, I mean, the the loss of people is obviously the a primary place where people experience grief, but then there are other ways of, of, I don't know, butting up against grief or maybe journeying alongside grief at other times in our lives too, right? The loss of dreams, the loss of relationships, not to, not because of a, because of a death. And so I have become a lot more familiar with using grief language in those experiences, which I help, I think really helps me to, to process and reflect on them um, and gives me sort of a I don't know, a box isn't the right word, but a, a process maybe to to experiencing them instead of just, you know, oh, these are hard emotions and, and I don't I don't know sort of what to do with them. So I think it's 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 touched me in lots of ways. The most recent loss of my of my grandmother was 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 difficult, but also you know, she's almost ninety-eight and her death was really very beautiful. And and so that has been I've learned a lot from that experience and I think that's something the way that she that she died is something I would I don't aspire to, right? Like we were all able to be there. We were singing hymns around her. We were, we were just able to, to surround her and, and remind her of who she is. Um, she wasn't conscious, but I like to think that maybe she could, she could hear us or at least be aware of our presence. And we were carrying her into that space. And so while that was, that was difficult, it was also, it felt like the best way to love her in that moment. And I'm so glad we had the opportunity to do that. Hearing is the last sense to go. And so I'm curious given your background, is there anyone else in your family that works in this type of arena? And if not, did you find yourself resorting to these tools and this information and knowledge and bringing that to your family so that you could make that experience a family inclusive one? I'm I'm the only person who has had some like, you know, training around these things. But my, um, my mom and her sister are, are close and my mom is kind of familiar in the, in the medical field. And so um, I think we all sort of brought different things to that space, right? Like I, we, I had to, I got a call that she, my grandmother was not, was, was dying and drove up to Boston, which is like an eight hour drive from, from here, um, you know, packed my ukulele and my hymn books and, and other things and, just was was prepared to sort of occupy this space however it felt best for my for my mom and, and her sister and the rest of our family um, and Gigi. So it was it was nice to sort of to to be there all together um, and with each person sort of offering their own their own part. And and it was it was nice to, you know, after after my grandmother died to find some ritual um, and to offer some ritual uh, because that, that transition, the, the leaving, leaving the hospital afterwards was, was really, that was the hardest part I think for me, because I, I would like to just keep caring for her, right? Like I, I would like to be able to, to take care of, to take care of her, to, um, to, to bury her, not to have to turn her over to an institution, right? That was really hard for me, kind of unexpected that that was a kind of intense part of that process. But it was nice to be able to to offer some ritual to kind of help with that with that process for for others. So, um I definitely found some of that that training to be helpful and I hope it was it was helpful for my family. So given what you do for a living, is this something that your family has embraced for themselves in planning ahead and you know, I can see 
as a daughter, you know, you would want to encourage your parents to make these decisions for themselves. And, you know, you're kind of like, I know for me personally, like I'm, I'm like coaching my mom along, like, Hey, you know, do you really want to leave these decisions to us? You know, I, I don't want to have to make this decision, you know, all of those things. Have you found like, is there, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's a process, right? Like my, my parents are, um, they're very, you know, very responsible um, with all parts of their life, including their, their financial life. They're both in the, have, have worked in pharmaceutical healthcare related industries. And so are, are aware of, of many, many things. And so, but there's a lot of these conversations we haven't had yet. We are, we, we sometimes bring it up from time to time, but, but some things we just haven't discussed. Right. So I, they have, they have a will. I know they have their advanced directive planning and, and some of that, that done which is great although we haven't talked about it so I'm not sure how done you can really <laughs> you can really call it and and that's one of the things I, I appreciate about this work is that you know I do the the legal documents um, and then if if folks want to have a facilitated conversation between them and their designated healthcare agent right so that's the person who would make healthcare decisions for them if they weren't able to do so themselves um, I'm I have some some training in how to facilitate those conversations and and I'm happy to do that. But I think these documents are I when I when I you know give people their their final kind of signed and executed documents, I always remind them that like, okay, so now you have a checklist, right? These each one of these documents is sort of now its own checklist for you. So you have to decide what you what you're gonna do with it. But I highly recommend <laughs> you you sit down and have some some detailed conversations with the people that you're giving you know, you're giving these powers to and these responsibilities to because they're these conversations now are are gifts for the future if they ever need to do that, right? Having somebody wonder what you would have wanted when they're faced with these like really intense choices is really hard um, and can really plague people, I think, for a long time if they feel like they maybe didn't make the right decision or they still have doubts about it. And so um, offering that kind of clarity, you know, when people talk to me, they're often very clear. Oh, I want, you know, a, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people are, you know, I want, I want the plug to be pulled like, as soon as the like as soon as the doctors are clear that like there's I'm not coming back I'm I'm done I, we don't I don't want to waste financial resources I don't want to waste healthcare resources this is the plan and so they have strong feelings many of them not all of them and and so I always encourage them to to speak uh, very clearly and with detail <laughs> um, with their with their agents and so you know my you know we haven't had those conversations yet in my family but we're we're getting there I think um, and I know that my parents have done these these types of planning already oddly enough my my grandmother had um, had not updated her her will from before I was born so it was done in the early eighties. <laughs> Wow. And um, many of the people in decision-making roles in her estate planning had passed away. In fact, all of the people I think she had named had passed away. And she had also like expressed that she had wanted certain things changed in her like financial documents that she, I guess, was under the impression that they had been changed, but really they had not. And so um, her estate is not particularly complicated. Um, 
but there are these sort of complicated factors that have come into play because I don't, I don't think she got great advice, you know, over, over time and wasn't um, kind of maintaining her, her plan the way that um, would have been ideal. So it's all, it's all fine. Our family's working through it, but it's just like a little ironic that I, um, I wish, <laughs> I wish I uh, had been invited into some of those conversations a little earlier, I guess I might've been able to help. Well, and that's a great tip. It's a working document, right? Until the day you die, it's a working document. So if anything changes, you know, it's best to address those changes in a timely manner because we have no guarantees, right? Yeah, that's right. And so I always, I tell folks that they they enter into a maintenance phase. And so uh, that is... Uh, and you know we depending on their on their goals and their family, we try to build a lot of flexibility into their plans so that um you know if they don't get around to updating them that's it's not there 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 will still be options um for the, for the decision makers or 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 the people who are managing the estate but but yes, I try very much to like this is a partially checked off item on your to do list. I'm a big fan of checklists. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and so I send emails, you know, after, uh, you know, every, every year, um, to remind folks to, to update things or to, to reach out if they need, need to talk about something or have additional questions. Um, it's also true that the law changes a lot, a lot actually in this area. Um, and some big changes recently have really, if people did their planning prior to 2020, some, some big changes have influenced how that, that planning may end up playing out. Uh, and so that's another reason why it's, it's just something to, to maintain. So, you know, once a year to like spend a little, spend a little brain power thinking about it and, uh, and check in. I have a confession long time ago, we had gotten like this booklet or like a, like a full, actually I ordered it. I ordered this folder that had like all these documents in it, like stuff, you know, basically it would be in my written words, what I wanted and, you know, different things like to prepare family and my wishes and things and even like financial stuff, right? Like the account numbers and just all this stuff. And especially like having a business. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine like my, and my husband hates, like he, he kind of loathes technology. Like he (laughs) he hates computers. He hates. Yeah. So he would be in total struggle bus. And so that is something really, truly that I need to make easier for him. You know, I, I do have like a a password book, you know, so that's all in one place, you know, so that makes it easy, but yeah. So what are some quick off the cuff tips like that? Maybe people aren't thinking about that they maybe should prepare for their family for, and you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's. It's so family specific. So that is, that's one of the things I really enjoy about the kind of planning meetings that I do with people um, is, is really that people often when I do this process and when other folks do this process as well, people will submit a, a worksheet that kind of lists, lists all, all the stuff, right? All of their, their financial life, their relationships, their kind of physical assets, all of that. And, uh, and that's sort of the, the first pass for our, our work together, kind of making sure that everything is taken care of. But right, like if folks have, Oftentimes, like people who have young children think about life insurance for, you know, being able to care for their children if they're not here anymore, which is wonderful. But I think often as as baby boomers age, there are more families that have minor children and also have 
parents living with them. And, you know, they got to think about what's going to happen with their parents too. And so what that life insurance, maybe that maybe they need more life insurance, maybe they need to kind of figure out how to, to care for um, the, the aging relatives as well as the as the younger as the younger generation. I think there's a lot of a lot of life happens online these days. And so you mentioned you have a password book, which is great. There are there's software out there, you know, one one password and, and other kinds of things that that some folks find helpful. One of the things that I think a lot of folks don't don't realize is that a lot of the accounts that you set up online, like in social media, for example, those are not those accounts would then not be governed by a will. So they are contracts that you are establishing between yourself and the you know, say Facebook, for example. And so there's in Facebook, there's a way for you to go in and designate like a legacy person, you can sort of name someone who can have access to your account, you know, if you if you pass and and maybe like they can't get into it otherwise. And so sometimes these social media spaces will will have those kinds of options, sometimes they won't. Um, and you might, you know, that's another password to make sure that's in your it's in your list, if it's an account that's important, or that you want to be maintained. Cryptocurrency is like a bigger thing these days, right? And like, that's, that's also something that's kind of hard to deal with in a will, because it's governed by these, by these contracts that you make with these, these companies that that run these um, kind of off the grid spaces. So that I, I was working with someone recently who just sort of like, for a hobby, you know, has some cryptocurrency. And I was like, Oh, okay, you we need to deal with that separately. That's not like this. It's not in the same category as like a bank account. And she was like, Oh, and it was a, you know, so it was a new, a new thing. So yeah, so a lot of those those kinds of things kind of come up and depending on people's businesses or their or their hobbies, right? There might be other things. Copyrights are a thing also to deal with, right? If you have a blog, then you own the copyrights to your blog. And like do you want to do something with that? I mean, maybe not, right? The answer might be no. But it's a it's a good conversation to have cuz copyrights live out they outlive people for a long time. And so sometimes there there might be ways to to monetize those copyrights for your descendants in the future. And so passing those passing those copyrights along is also something that, you know, people don't necessarily think about these days too. So there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of stuff um, that can, that can get wrapped up in these conversations. And I just suddenly felt myself get very overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, yeah, I, I, first of all, thank you for that tip too, with the legacy account on Facebook. I had no idea, you know, because people put a lot of pictures on their personal accounts and it's like, well, maybe those are gone, you know, if the person passes away. And then now my question too, is like with teenagers, you know, you can be a parent that outlives your child and then they have all this stuff too. Right. And so I think it's important for us as a parent, me as a parent, I have three teenagers to like, how do you convince your kid? You know, I need your password, you know, maybe write it down somewhere that, you know, maybe I'll find it. You know, I don't know. Like, how do you, any tips on that? Yeah. Like, so that, and that's going to be different for everyone, right? Yeah. So when I do planning for, for folks, I give people a big binder, it has tabs, it has all the things and there's spaces for like other documents or, and, and I encourage people to write letters. And so, and to keep the letters in, in the, in the binder. So maybe the letter will, letters will say like, this is where XYZ is. This is I didn't want to keep the passwords with everything else because that didn't feel safe. So, but I'm keeping them in this other place. Um, or like this is the name of a file on my computer where you can find this kind of thing. And so having one place 
one one binder to kind of rule them all is is something I, I recommend. But it, the binder itself doesn't have to have everything in it. It just has to point um, point the the right people to kind of where where they need to be. I do also, you know, when I do work with folks, I give them emergency cards, just like little business card size size guys that, you know, they can do what they want with them, depending on their life. Um, some people will take them to car seats. Some people keep them in their wallets. Some people like put them on their fridge. Um, and then that is a, um, usually I focus on decision makers. Um, and if there are minor children, kind of emergency caretakers for minor children, but there's no reason you couldn't also include like the binder is, um, uh, if, you know, if that feels like something that's, that's useful to you. So, so yeah, like every family, every person is going to, is going to feel differently about that because they may, may have different levels of, of trust for the, the people in their life, uh, other people who are, are likely to be in their home, but it's, it's always a good thing to work. I, I try to work, work through that with each of, each of my clients to come up with a plan that fits for them. Um, and that works for their, for their lives. I just thought of a tip for myself and maybe even for anyone listening you know, cause I'm big into the technology and stuff. And I'm thinking like, if I have a binder and my house burns down, unless that's in a safe, that binder is like, poof, right. I'm sure you have a backup personally Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. of I that mean, information. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just thinking for people who do this on their own, right? Like I do have documents, but are they all filled out? No, that's my confession. But to have an encrypted file on your computer or on your computer and a USB, mm-hmm. you know, or something that then that USB is maybe with a family member or maybe it that's in the safe, you know, that's a little bit easier. Right. Maybe it's in the glove box of your vehicle. Right. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Or like you know, have like access to a secure cloud storage space. Right. That's another. You yeah. Know. Or safety deposit box at the bank. Right. That's a pretty secure spot. Yeah. So, yeah. so and you know, they make like the fireproof boxes or, mm-hmm. or, you know, some other, some other things that, um, that I know some people, some people use as well. So, so yeah, there are having in for mo- for many of these documents, the, well, it depends, but for like, for a will, like the original is very important, but if you have a copy and the family doesn't disagree, right. Depending on your state, that still might be enough, but, but for other documents, like a healthcare directive, or um, maybe even a financial power of attorney, depending on the terms, a copy would would work. So it, it, again, it depends on the state and it depends on the, what the documents themselves say, but, um, but yeah, so those, having those, those backups in other places can definitely help you out depending on what the needs are. You know, in my mind, I think of having all of this stuff prepared and and ready and all the, the personal decisions made for, you know, for your family members, like for yourself, but for them, it really can help negate any bad blood that can happen, right? The the inner fighting between the family of disagreeing, like you mentioned. And I'm thinking though, like there can still be that, even if you've done all this. Have you seen that? I mean, I I haven't. Uh, well, there's always stories, right? So there's um, there are there are tons of of stories that that people share about families that just think that they're their descendants or that maybe their siblings will, will just get along and it'll be fine. And that, you know, say, you know, an elderly, elderly relative moves in with their child and then puts their child's name on their bank accounts or, or on these other, you know, financial institutions, um, financial accounts. Um, and then when they pass, they expect that, that, 
child will evenly share all of those things with the other children. Like that, it doesn't actually happen that often. And, and it's, it can be, it can be quite contentious, right? People go from, from intending to, to share to thinking I did, I did a lot of this work, right? Like I did all the, I took care of mom, right? Like this is, this should be mine. And then like it, it becomes, it can get real messy. Yeah. I mean, I think even this is another place where writing letters can be really helpful because the, the legal documents, you can put some of like the rationale, right? A person creating these documents can put some of the rationale in there, but that's not what they're for, right? These are decision documents. Um, and so, but the rationale I think is often things that really helps family. Sorry, I got a little dark there for a second. So these, the rationale are really things that, that help families um, and help them understand why certain decisions were being made or certain assets were kind of given to one, one person over another um, or kind of how, however, whatever feels important to share can be shared. And and I think that does help in, in dealing with those kinds of disputes, um, kind of nipping them before they, they creep up. Yeah. Cause I think for a lot of family members, context can change everything, you know, just having an understanding of why a certain decision is made, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And I think maybe that's one tip other Another tip I would think of in in how you compose a letter would be what is something they don't know, but I feel is so important that they do know that can change your perspective of this decision. Right, right. And I think always, and again, this makes like a lot of assumptions about the dynamics going on in any given family, but I think the things that we as humans want from our loved ones that pass on is like more conversation, more assurances of, of love, more expressions of identity that help to ground us in who we are. And so these letters can serve for the, to, to meet some of those needs too. And so I, I think they, they can be super powerful. I also, you know, if people feel up to it and are either have a, a buddy who is tech savvy or, or maybe tech savvy themselves, the like audio, audio recordings or, or video recordings are, are maybe even more powerful than letters because, you know, it's in, it's in the person's voice. They have the opportunity to kind of share stories in addition to like, you know, information about decisions. Right. And so then you can get more into these like legacy interviews and those, those kinds of things that are, that are, you know, valuable in, in different ways, but in some similar ones too. Yeah, there are actually, there's several apps out there now. Um, I did a podcast episode. There's one called AfterCloud. There's been a couple others too that I've come across, but yeah, where you can really, it's an archive of your family. You can put all kinds of things, legacy planning, like you had said, like what you, yeah, that's great tip too. So what led you to doing this work? Mm, Many things, right? The long and winding road. Um, I, um, I've, I've done a, a handful of things. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I have a seminary degree and a law degree, which is not like a super common combination. Um, and so I have found ways to use each of them sort of separately uh, in my in my career. Um, but in in thinking a lot about kind of the next step after my, you know, my prior job was sort of feeling um, like I it was ready, time to move on. Um, I was thinking a lot about what I love the most about working with people. And I think that that is meaning, right? Helping people create and we, I love the the metaphor of weaving meaning, um, helping people weave meaning in their lives. And so 
the law is not great. It's not a great tool for that, but it. this is definitely a space where I, I feel like I'm meeting a, a legal need, right? Like, you know, I enjoy, enjoy is maybe a strong word, but like, I appreciate a well-written statute. Um, I, I appreciate, you know, legal research and sort of combing through all of these, these things and, and finding answers to complex problems. Um, so I, I enjoy that personally, but then the, the broader context of conversation around like, what is, what is the meaning of your life? What is the meaning of your death? Like how, how do you want to talk about that? And how do you want to integrate that into the decisions that you're making, right? Like your will is probably not going to go into details about how you reflect on that, but ultimately it should be a a reflection of all of work that you do to come to answers uh, around those questions. So yeah, so I think I think that's one of the things. And also I just I think our our culture has such as an aversion to thinking about death. I think the healthcare industry has an aversion to acknowledging that like death is the outcome for everyone eventually. <laughs> and so I appreciate to invite people into some of those conversations. You know, my my prior job, I was working at a church. I worked um with youth and young adults and and then regular adults, um, to do, to do a bunch of programming. And my teenagers, my youth loved to talk about death. They had so many questions. They, um, you know, adolescence, lots is happening. A lot is happening in adolescence, especially like now with, you know, more and more awareness of, of mental health and, um, you know, trying to learn skills to support their peers or, you know, even strategies to help them themselves in these spaces. And so we used to spend a ton of time talking about death and I thought it was wonderful, the opportunity to, to reflect on these things with them and to create a space where they felt safe doing that, um, in the context of, um, a faith that they, that they claimed that maybe can, could, could help provide some uh, light posts along the way as they, as they figured all of these things out. And so, so all of those things kind of wove together um, and, uh, and led me to this space, which I, um, I'm enjoying and finding um, quite meaningful. That's wonderful. And I'm not surprised that the teenagers love to talk about death or enjoyed that because from, like you said, the many of them don't have a space where they can ask their questions. And because like you mentioned, as adults, we have an aversion to death and dying and we don't want to talk about it. And even just attending a funeral or someone in the family passing away, it it brings up all types of stuff for ourselves because we're reminded of our own immortality. And that's confronting for many people like, oh, I am going to die. And I don't know when, You know, like that's, that's life, right? That is life. And so I think it is important that that is important work that you were doing. Do you still kind of dabble in that from time to time? Some, I mean, the, um, I have young kids myself. And so the, the schedule and the balance seems to change week to week, kind of what is possible. Um, but I love, you know, my, my younger, my younger one isn't kind of ready to have any of these conversations yet, but my six-year-old is like, Right. They say that like three is the year of death. Right. When when kids are three, they are very curious. They have all the questions like this is the time. But she's never grown out of that. And so we we talk about death all the time. And after um, after my grandmother died, we I mean, we still talk about it a lot. And before her before her memorial service, we went to the cemetery and we spent we walked around. We spent a lot of time kind of thinking and feeling and and talking about that space that she'd never, you know, she'd never been there before. Um, and, you know, at her service, we went up to the altar and we sort of touched all the things and we like talked about how 
the the rituals that are that are part of this kind of help us to to make meaning out of what's happening and to to kind of understand what's happening in in some different ways and so having those conversations with with her has been has been really wonderful and she has her own beautiful way of of understanding these things and of kind of interpreting, interpreting all of it too. So I mean, the way that that many kids do. So that's been a gift of that experience as well, the opportunity to to reflect with her. So so yeah, I mean, the the balance, I think will continue to shift over time. But I I certainly still, still love my my, uh, my teenagers. And, uh, and then, you know, I mean, adult groups too, churches and other kind of faith, uh, or kind of ethical spaces, I think are, are also, I mean, they're sort of made for this, I think, right? They're, they're made not just to like, I mean, I love the fellowship. (laughs) I love the fellowship of these spaces too, right? Go have a potluck, like go plan a fundraiser, like go, go do good work. Um, But some of the good work is going to be kind of sitting with each other in these like big questions that are really scary that we'd rather um, maybe avoid. So here's another tip that I thought of as I was listening to you talk. So there is a, for parents listening, there is a book um, called When Children Grieve. It is the foundation of a program the Grief Recovery Institute has called Helping Children with Loss. And I think that that would be a great book for parents to read or caregivers or caretakers to read. And then an invitation to take the child, like you said, like a great segue to like, well, how do I start that conversation, right? Is go to a cemetery. And ask your child, ask the child, like, what are your questions? Like, what are you curious about? What are you wondering? What can I answer for you? Especially a child who is grieving. It opens up that conversation, but you have to be open as a parent to, or as a caretaker, you have to be open to that conversation yourself as well. It's so important. I cannot stress it enough how as children, like by the age of three, you've learned 75%. That's why they say that probably age three, you've learned 75% of how you will cope with certain, in certain situations, like how you respond to certain situations by 15, you've pretty much taken in everything in your environment that has taught you how to respond to life. So it's so important that we start early and we start young to have those conversations so that future generations aren't as a don't have that same aversion to death, right? That we do, or that even probably even 20 somethings do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, um, and I think one of the most important things about approaching these conversations, I mean, regardless of who you're having them with is like a, an openness to the kind of mysteries, right? Mm -hmm. Like even as, even pe- people of faith who feel certainty around certain, or, you know, wh- whoever, right. Person of faith or not, who feels kind of certainty about how, how things work uh, during death or after death. I think creating space for that mystery, especially when, when talking with, with kids and letting them kind of work their way through instead of kind of providing them with an endpoint and kind of shutting down some of that reasoning process and some of that discovering for them um, is, is also is super important so that they, they come to a sense of ownership um, of it themselves. So um, I, I could talk about this all day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Cause I actually mentioned that yesterday in another podcast conversation about how beliefs that are passed down can really pigeonhole us you know, we get so set in our ways of there's no, that openness kind of goes away, right? To 
you know, so I love that you mentioned that because I think it's so important, like just be open and curious to the questions and and leave something to be discovered. You know, don't answer. You don't have to have an answer for everything. I guess that's, that's the lesson there. Right. Right. And there's nothing wrong with coming to a different answer over time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so often those are my favorite parts of leading. I used to lead a confirmation class at my, at my church, which uh, depending on people's familiarity was sort of a, an opportunity for middle schoolers to think about whether they wanted to sort of formally declare that they were wanted to continue in this tradition uh, opportunity one way or another. Um, and, and so, but that we, we only talked about the questions, right? Like we are embracing the questions and we're going to talk about some of the possible answers. And I would love to hear sort of how you're navigating these things. Here are some of the, the answers that your tradition has offered over time, because I don't want you to be 40 and stuck with like the faith of a 12 year old because that's sort of what you think faith means, right? Like it has to be a certain way. Yeah. Right. And so, um, that I used to have so much fun with them doing that. Um, and, and I think my experience kind of working with them led me to have different conversations with adults as well around sort of like, where did you learn the answer to this question? Like, does it still feel true to you? If the answer is no, maybe that's okay. And we can kind of, we can work on, on discovering something else within this big tradition that might feel like it better reflects your experience and the way that, you know, you feel called to respond in any given situation. So um, yes, the mystery is a good thing. Yes. I've actually just had a post about that on Good Friday, how, you know, I don't care what you believe it's, you know, maybe there are just some things that are a mystery. There's how can anyone on this physical plane possibly know for sure, right? impossible. Right. In a lot of ways, like we don't know everything. Look at how much is undiscovered in the cosmos Mm -hmm. and under the, in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Right. And even our bodies, like what our physical bodies are capable of. Like, I, I think we're, we, we just don't even have, we couldn't even wrap our head around what we don't know yet (laughs) about everything under the sun. So yeah. Thank you for bringing that. Yeah. I think it adds just a childlike wonder too, to what, what is possible at end of life. And I think that can bring people comfort too. And, and, you know, there are people that really struggle with, I think, death and dying because of an indoctrination sometimes of, you know, I did this thing. I'm, I'm guess I'm destined for hell or, I've done this thing and all these good works. So I, I know I'm going, (laughs) I know there's a place for me in heaven. I think there is a mystery there that we just, we won't know until we know for ourselves. But anyway, I'm sure I could talk about that all day. (laughs) So how long have you been doing this work? Like specifically helping people with estate planning? So this is like, and, and again, like I've had sort of different points where I have, I have done, done this over time, but I've only been kind of really dedicated, um, kind of a hundred percent of my professional time to it for, for about a year. And, um, but again, like it's, it sort of has found me at different points along, along the way, but, but yeah, so it's, it's still a, a newer, um, endeavor. So have you personally gotten your ducks in a row? Yeah, we're still in process. We're still in process. So, um, like you mentioned, the having a business makes it all 
makes things more complicated. And so we have been kind of in in process of updating and trying to figure out the the best the best way to move forward with the um I have another kind of another a second business as well it's sort of more of a hobby space and you know talking a lot with my spouse about the best you know, does he, does he feel like he could sort of step in and and do these things? Or like, do I need to like appoint, you know, there's just a lot of conversations to have, like with a, you know, other attorneys um, who might be willing to be like a triage person to come in and and work with my, work with my clients and, you know, make Mm. sure that everything is wound up. Right. So there's, there's a lot uh, that goes into it. Uh, And so yeah, so we are we are still updating. Although we have a goal of the middle of next month as our as our like as our time. So I think it will it will be wrapped up pretty soon. Um, and then you know if things need to change, we will we will change them right. Just like just like with others. And so as I, I'm really enjoying my work now. It's it's just me, but I am I'm busy. And so I, you know as as I may grow, my my business may may grow, and and other other folks are involved like that, that plan may, may change over time. So we will, we will maintain the plan just like I advise everyone else to do. <laughs> I could totally, like, I just had a bit, I had a vision for you. <laughs> I had a vision for you. I don't know if you have an interest in like, do you have a brick and mortar? No, not yet. Again, with the small kids, I am yeah. home and juggling and, and, and all of that most of the time, but w- hope to have one in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, I envision this brick and mortar of like this one stop shop for like end of life planning, like end of life doulas, like huh. all these resources, like in this one place. And I have, um, I had, and I can't, I can't remember if I had, I shared this with you, but I have, I have flirted with end of life doula training often, and uh, and I'm in some of the Facebook spaces and sort of passively learning from all of the wisdom that is that is shared there. But that was that was one of the um, there are. There's at least one or two, there's at least one end of life doula training program I can think of that was started by a woman who is an attorney and sort of backed into this work, kind of um, going with grace, maybe is what it's called. And she used to sort of do both of these things. And I think at this point has just shifted to the end of life doula. And now she has training and she does all these other things. But yes, I have often, often felt like, like a, a, a team of, of folks who were similarly minded, um, who, who understood the interplay between all of these things um, would be a valuable resource for, for the world. And so we'll see where that vision takes us. <laughs> As you were talking too, I just, I was like, oh my, cause you were talking about like your clients and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I hadn't even thought about that. Like if I'm in the middle of a grief program with one of my clients, like who, who do I, ref- like who do, where do they go? Right. And that's horrible because in the work that I do, it's like, I can be in, like, I could be at session seven or eight and then there's 12 sessions and it's important, meaningful, deep work. And it's like, hang them dry. Like, oh my gosh, I need to plan that stat first of all. So thank you for that. And then also I thought of too, like caretakers, like if you are a parent who's caring for a parent, like that sandwich generation, if something happens to you, what happens to that parent? That's huge. That's a huge, Yeah, that feels very overwhelming (laughs) to me. I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah, it is, and it can be. I think, um, but but even sort of think thinking through what it could look like for your family, and and what you know what 
the aging parent wants, what their values, yes. their priorities are. So that sandwich generation is is in a in a hard place because they they need to make sure everyone gets what they need and and they themselves are are spread very thin. And it I know that can be super hard. And so, you know, seeking support, uh, whether again that's in some sort of community space or a faith space, um, or a like a, a a space to like intentionally plan these kinds of things out, rather whether that's with an attorney or a or a financial advisor or, you know, whoever, um, that structure can maybe, can maybe be helpful to organize all of these interests into something that makes sense. I was going to mention too. So I trained through in ELDA, I-N-E-L-D-A. So I can put that in the show notes. If anyone listening has an interest in end of life type of work, but yeah, I, I highly recommend that organization. I can share that with you. So of course you're in Maryland. And so a lot of the things that you share kind of generalized and people have to look at their own state specific stuff. Are there some things that you know, for sure that definitely vary from state to state that people need to keep in mind? Well, yeah, I mean, there are, there are lots of things like it's, it's tricky because there's a nuance in every state, the general shape of what the documents can do are are often very similar, but the, even the, the intestacy statute, right? So that is, um, it's a 50 cent word, um, but that is the, the default for what happens if you die without a will, right? And so a, a lot of people say like, you know, if they don't have a will, they're like, oh, well, I, don't, I don't have a plan. You do have a plan. It is the state's plan. The state's plan is what will happen if uh, if you die without having kind of looked at that and, and made a plan for yourself. And that is different in every state, right? Sometimes it you know, divides everything evenly between children. Sometimes the spouse gets everything. Sometimes it's divided between a spouse and children. Um, sometimes it's, you know, it's divided. Sometimes parents are factored in if they're, they're surviving parents. And so that's something that's different in every state. And so that's different that it, it would have to be sort of worked around with, with a, with a will, um, or a, a trust, depending. The ability to name guardians is something that in most states, guardians for minor children, uh, is something that in most states is only something you can do in a will. There are a few states that allow you to have kind of a separate document that that appoints a guardian for minor children but in most it's just a will so that is that's a big deal because there are a lot of people who feel like they don't have anything which may or may not be true um sometimes when you start to think about like you know retirement assets and just kind of little pieces of property here or there it kind of adds up maybe to more than one might expect and so they feel like they don't really have anything but they come to me for a will because they want to name guardians for their children and so that's that's a big thing to think about. If you do have minor children and you don't feel like you have anything, uh, you can get a will that is, I always recommend going to an attorney because again, you don't, like you were saying earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And there are a lot of forms that you can get online or forms from other spaces. And depending on your situation, those like might be, they might like get you started, but, but they might not ask the right questions. They might not sort of you know, they, they're not able to reflect with you uh, and kind of enter in the process with you. And, and so, you know, talking to an attorney, even if you feel like you have a simple situation and, and only need it for one thing, you, you may find, you may find um, that a couple other, couple other points are important. 
So, but otherwise there's, there's variation, right? In some states, probate. So probate is the process of retitling assets that are in your name when you die. And so if you're thinking about like, so assets that you hold by yourself, um, if you, when you die, you can imagine that you drop the assets and then the court is like, "Uh oh, assets on the floor. This is, we have a process for how to like pick those back up and like get them where they need to be. In some states, probate's not so bad, right? It doesn't take a super long time. It maybe only takes like nine months to a year. It may not be super expensive. Uh, and so it, there may be great resources in your state for how to um, how to go, go through that without needing to hire an attorney. Um, and then in other states, it may be crazy, right? Like in California, people work really hard to avoid probate because it's very expensive and it takes a very long time and things get tied up forever. And so that's a that's another thing that really varies a great deal by state. Um, I think in, in culture, people just really want to avoid probate because they've heard terrible things. Um, and depending on your situation, that might be true. But depending on your state and your and your family and your life, it may not it may not be so bad. So lots of variation. So would you say the biggest mistake that people made at make at end of life planning, estate planning, all of that is not going with a lawyer? <laughs> I, again, it, it really depends. I, I really do think that even if even if it's just like attending an information session or, you know, a lot of attorneys have, I care a lot about the education and counseling parts of my role, um, as hopefully you could tell. And so I do a lot of educational like seminars and I go to mom's groups and I go to church spaces and talk about all of these things to, to try to, to help people, you know, feel confident that they, they can like attack the process. And, and there are a lot of attorneys out there who will, you know, sit down and have a conversation with you and not, it, it's, it's not, it may not be quite as um, Fendi as you think, <laughs> um, depending on, depending on your needs. And so it's definitely worth looking, looking into, um, even if it's something that you might need to budget for a little bit, having the, the peace of mind of kind of go, going, going through that with, an expert um, who knows and understands how how the laws have changed, what what changes may be in the pipeline, and how to to kind of plan for those two is is a big deal. Like I mentioned, there are big changes uh, went into effect in 2020, and so people who planned uh, and these big changes primarily have to do with retirement accounts. So people who planned to do certain things with their retirement accounts as part of their estate planning before 2020, like. Those, some of those things are just not possible anymore. And so they, um, if they haven't updated, if they haven't stayed in touch, if they haven't reached out um, to, to an attorney who has um, been wrestling with this crazy law um, for, for a long time, they're not, they're not going to know. Uh, and they're not going to know if they need a different structure um, or if they need to kind of update their plan accordingly. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think seeking professional advice from an attorney is always a good call. But as it, as it relates to the biggest mistake, it's hard to tell between not speaking to an attorney and then not speaking to your decision makers. These are these are sort of similar, I think, in terms of their their importance um, in terms of how the plans actually play out in the end. I just had a scenario cross my mind and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I couldn't even imagine. Like if you're college age, but you, but let's say you're a parent, your parents, right. And you have college age, but you also have kids still in school, high school, and something happens to both you and your spouse. So you got student loans, you've got kids that are still in school that need, you know, a parent role model like oh my gosh that is such a complex like i cannot even imagine the situation what is like the most 
complex, complicated situation you've come across that maybe people haven't considered for themselves? Oh man. Um, so again, like the, the retirement, the, the change in the retirement roles has really impacted what the best, the best thing to do um, with some of these retirement cards are, right? And so the reason that the laws changed in 2020 is because Congress was looking, they were like, hey, these people have, some of these people have a lot of dollars in their retirement accounts, and they're not actually spending it in retirement. They're using it as like a wealth transfer vehicle to share it with the next generation or with, you know, with children or with grandchildren. And so that's not why retirement accounts were made. And so we can probably tax those a little differently. And, uh, and, um, incentivize people sort of using them more during retirement, um, or, you know, tax them, create a different scheme where they end up being taxed differently, um, so that we recoup some of those dollars. Um, and so that has meant that people who have like charitable intent, right. So maybe they want to like benefit another person during like, so they, they die and they want to benefit another person during their lifetime. Um, so they want to use a trust, um, and benefit that person during their lifetime. Maybe they're not super great with money or maybe they have some special needs or maybe, you know, there are maybe other reasons. Um, and so they're going to have a trustee manage that account and, um, you know, meet the person's needs. Uh, but then if there's anything else, they want that to go to charity. That seems like a very reasonable thing to want to do. Um, and, and it's actually now quite complicated <laughs> because of the ways that charities are treated um, under the new law uh, and the ways that people within certain degrees of relationship um, to the plan owners are treated too. So dealing with retirement accounts has gotten much more complicated. And um, and that is, that's frustrating because a lot of folks have have retirement accounts and they started contributing to them a long time ago. Um, and, you know, they viewed them as savings vehicles, not just for themselves, but for their families. And so with this change, those, those folks have, have different, different options. So now people who have maybe some charitable intent, but also want to benefit their families. Now we're looking more at doing charitable remainder trusts, which are cool, cool things um, that allow you to continue to benefit your family now um, over the course of, you know, the, the lifetime of the beneficiaries you choose. And then ultimately then the rest would go to charity. And that, um, so that may end up being a better vehicle than a more traditional retirement trust. So yeah, I know that sounds like a little, a little nitty gritty, but, um, but those, those rules have gotten, have gotten pretty complicated. Yeah. And I think it is also thinking about folks with children who have, who are like far apart in age, Right. So if you have, you know, a 10 year age gap between two kids, maybe, or if you have kids that are sort of really spread out, creating a trust that meets all of their needs, given that they will have very different needs when one is like 17 and one is 30. Right. Like that, that can sometimes be challenging to design a trust that will um, that will work well for, for everyone and make sure that the younger child has all of the, has access to the opportunities that the older child had, you know, as it relates to maybe going to college or, uh, or graduate school or, or other things. And so, and th- that's a very like fact specific situation that you just sort of deal with as it comes up, but, but sometimes can be tricky. Well, this has been a wealth of information. Um, I feel like I'd probably come up with 50 more questions <laughs> easily, but is there anything that you feel is of utmost importance that you didn't get to share that you feel the listeners need to hear? 
I mean, I think that we've, you've mentioned many times, and I, I totally agree that at some points, just considering all of these things can be very overwhelming. <laughs> and, and so when you have that kind of overwhelm experience, I really encourage folks to like return to your values and return to something that is grounding to you, right? Whether these are kind of stories um, that that help you reflect on what is really meaningful to you or stories that you've, you know, things you've experienced that you're like, oh, well, I definitely don't want that to happen or I don't want, I don't want to feel like that, right? I want to feel like this. Those kinds of, of resources from your own reflections and from your own life are, 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 I think, a great place to go and retreat when you have that kind of overwhelm. And so, so staying, staying true to those things and, and finding, you know, a home in those things when, when these kind of technical pieces feel a little overwhelming, I think is a, is a good call. So I would, I would encourage that. And, and hopefully that is, that is a helpful tip. What is one thing that you would love to scream to the world about your grief experience or this work that you're doing? Mm. I mean, I think one of my favorite metaphors for grief, and there are so many good ones, is that, and it works really well with my like weaving, uh, the way that I understand sort of meaning in the world, but that, that grief is like a drop stitch. So I'm not really a, a knitter. Uh, I really enjoy spending time with knitters because I find their knitting to be very soothing. Um, I've been known at family functions to just sort of curl up next to someone knitting um, and be, be soothed. <laughs> but my understanding is that when you are knitting and you drop a stitch, um, you can either go back and fix it. Um, or if you don't, it just leaves sort of a little hole in the, in the finished garment uh, or the scarf. I think that's such a good metaphor for grief because you can't really go back and fix it, right? Like you can't, you can't undo it. You can't make it go away. It is just, it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of you that you carry into all aspects of your life, right? And there will be moments when all you feel like you can see is the whole, and there will be moments when you can zoom out and see the whole, the whole garment and the garment, your life is still beautiful and meaningful, even though it ends up with all these little holes in it. Um, it is uniquely yours and, um, those people that the love of those people is still with you, right. It's reflected in these, in these little kind of absences. And so I've been reflecting a lot on that as, you know, we, we just celebrated Easter, right. Um, and actually so many holidays this season is so great. They all overlapped all these like religious traditions and very beautiful to see um, reflections of that. But my, my grandmother was a singer and sang beautifully, right? She died. She was almost 98 and um, had a beautiful voice. And I have so many recordings of her singing that I did very sneakily. So she didn't know. And, uh, and I, I sang, you know, in, in the choir on Sunday um, and thought of her a lot. Like it was, it was a beautiful way to feel close to her. Um, and so I think, as we get through sort of the first year of, of her not being with us, there will be so many of those opportunities to feel close to her um, and to feel all the feelings, right? Joy and, and humor and, and sadness and, you know, wishing she could be here to tell us some of the stories that, that we've heard before, but that she, you know, she tells the best. And so, so I think it, it just is cycling. We will, I will cycle through it and that is okay. That's how it is. Thank you for sharing that. What, your grandma's name was Gigi? Uh, we, yes, we, we called her grandma. And then after she had great grand, uh, great grandchildren, they called her Gigi, great grandma. So, oh. yes. So she got to spend a lot of time with them in the, in the month before she died. And, uh, 
and that was a, that was a gift, a gift to everyone. Yeah. Not a lot of kids get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. What is one thing that your experiences have taught you like grief and the work that you're doing? I think it's that the, the default is not a good death. Like the medical system, there are so many things that really push people towards an institutionalized death experience. And that's not always avoidable. Um, but there are, there are times when it feels like doctors, other people are not kind of brave enough to talk about these things with families. And so like families need to be brave and to be aware of um, the options and be able to like uh, assert the the vision and the options that they have. And so the, the opportunities for whether it's hospice, whether it's working with an end of life doula, whether it is kind of just finding ways to claim a space for your loved one in an institution, right? Like using, using music, using art, using reading, right? Like there are so many tools that we have to create and influence a space to, to reflect the, the personality and the, the joys experienced by the person who is needing to be in that space. So I think just being aware that like a, what a good death is to you is probably not the default of what like the system is 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 going to provide you unless you you act within it. So I know that's not like one of the it shouldn't I should have probably thought of a legal takeaway, but that I feel like is a big really important thing <laughs> that is you know then loved ones carry with them for the rest of their for the rest of their lives. Um, and so. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big deal. It is a big deal and I'm I'm very glad that that was your your share because we do medicalize dying and death and I had Dr. Chris Kerr he's I've mentioned him his episode many times throughout all different conversations and I'll put it in the show notes again on this episode because he was an ER physician whose job was to keep people alive and what he saw in the work he was doing at that time was people were not Physicians were not being honest with family about what was truly happening with their loved one, that they were actively dying. And so he said, we medicalized, we medicalized dying. And then they die in the hospital, they die in the nursing home, away from their family or loved ones, and oftentimes alone. And he's, you know, so he's a huge, he's actually, he switched gears completely and has been a hospice physician now for many years. And is studying, has studied the end of life experiences of people who are dying and was featured in the Netflix docuseries, um, Surviving Death, which mm. I think you might be interested in if you haven't seen uh, yes, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'll have to look at it. Ooh, you will like that. So yes, um, I'm completely on par with what you just, just shared. Um, what is one thing, I'm putting you on the spot, so what is one thing that you can think of off the top of your head that this I want present? Like if you have that agency, you have that choice, you're, you know, of a good death. What mm -hmm. is one thing that is an absolute that you want at your end of life? Mm, I think I thought about this a lot, especially um, after, after being there with, with my grandmother. And I think laughter is something that I want kind of around, around me, right? Laughter of my, whoo, laughter of my loved ones, of my kids, right? People, um, 
telling stories and carrying the joy that I hope that I bring into the world, right? Carrying that, that forward. I think about um, some of my favorite children's books and how I would love for people to kind of, people to read them to, to me, whether I, whether I can experience them or not, but so that they can experience them kind of together. So I think laughter is a, is a big thing. I remember it was, that was a significant moment when we were together around, right? Gigi had passed, but we were still sitting, sitting around her and, and talking about her and playing music and, and sharing stories and laughing. And that just felt like a really lovely way to honor her, honor her spirit. And, um, and so, yeah, I think, I think laughter should be in the room, even though, you know, it might be sad. Hopefully it will be a little sad, (laughs) but I don't want people to be, to be afraid, too afraid to, to, to tell stories and to, and to be silly and playful. So, yeah. I just got full body chill pups. That was good. That was very good. Thank you for sharing that. And it is true. I think, you know, we, it's almost like you feel guilty for feeling joy in a moment like that, you know, and it's like you just expressed it's, that's the juice of life is joy. Really? It's all the things. Yeah. 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 We were embodies all of that. Yeah. 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 I was with my daughter in the uh, cemetery before the day before my grandmother's service, um, and my, my mom and I were there together. Um, she has a, my mom has done, done a ton of childcare for us and is much beloved, um, by, by my, by my kiddos, um, really by all children she encounters. Um, <laughs> but, um, and so Lucy, my, my daughter was, was there and, and we were, she was sort of like skipping around and, and I could tell at first that my mom was a little uncomfortable with the fact that she was like being a six-year-old kid, kind of, you know, dipping in and out of the, of the reflection and, and being kind of silly. And I, I wanted to say something to kind of help both of them maybe feel a little more comfortable. And so I, I told, I told Lucy, I was like, sweetie, you, I want you to be joyful. If you, if you feel joyful here, be joyful, right? We are respectful. We do not, you know, we don't touch the gravestones. We don't, you know, there's a lot of things we don't do, but think about all the people who were buried here and all of the life that they loved, right? They, they all had a favorite joke, right? They all, they all had moments in their life when they couldn't stop laughing. And so think about how it's like, it honors them to bring that spirit to this place. Right. And so, and so, yes, we are respectful, but absolutely. We are also playful. Uh, We are also, you know, if you're feeling joyful, then, then you're joyful and, and we live in that space too. And so that was a, I was really glad for both of them actually to be able to kind of share that and then talk about it a little bit with them. Because again, like we don't, we're somber, right? Where cemeteries are somber and maybe that's okay sometimes, but, um, but maybe not all the time. Um, So anyway, that's, that's the gift that children give us, right? Yeah. Indeed. Lighten up, lighten up a little. (laughs) (laughs) And here's another tip, you know, when I was, when I was listening to you, it's, really considering that person that you're there to support and their, their transition, what did they love? What did they enjoy? Bring that to the room. You know, it's like you love children's books. So exactly, exactly like you said, like what are some of her favorite books? And um, I used to volunteer at the nursing home. I don't have the time. Like I want, eventually I want to get back to that, but I would read to the residents the newspaper, whatever it was they wanted me to read, because 
you lose, you know, your eyesight isn't the best. You get to a certain age, you have glaucoma, cataracts, all these things you can't. And if you loved reading the paper and you can't do that anymore, you're not, you can't enjoy the paper anymore. And so having someone to read it to them, right? So I think that's a good tip for, to leave people with as well. If you have someone who's transitioning, just think about what they truly what juiced them up? What did they love doing? What were their hobbies? And I'm curious, what is your side hobby business? Oh, um, so I did, I, I dabbled in some web design uh, for, for fun um, and, and also for, you know, for, for clients. Um, and then also I, I sell some curriculum that I, that I've written mostly for, um, for youth groups and for, um, adult small groups. Um, some there's, I have sort of an anti-racism series and a couple series that I loved using Ted talks, um, to in, in ways to kind of bring that in conversation with, with scripture and with the experience of, you know, whatever, whatever the group was, and so I have a handful of those and that, you know, a bunch of other things, games and, and other things for uh, mostly around uh, the ministry, ministry world. Well, I send that my way because I would love to include that in the show notes as well, because I sure. think that could be a resource for people, especially with inclusion and all of that, you know, so I think. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. I totally will. And the, um, and I do, as you mentioned, I am, I am in Maryland, um, but I do do values, values-based coaching for anyone who is, feels stuck or overwhelmed in the process and, and wants some, some, some guidance and, and interaction to sort of really ground themselves in, in their, in their values and in their stories of identity too. So I, I do that, um, sort of as a, it's not, I don't, you know, provide legal advice as part of that, but as someone who, who knows the types of questions that would be part of um, an estate planning journey in, in any given state, I'm, I, I offer some of that as well. Um, if that, if that sounds helpful. I love that you brought up the values piece because I'm a certified UMAP coach and we, through that process, we, there's like four assessments that basically ultimately create what's called a U map. And it's basically a map of you that includes your top five strengths, your values, how you're wired and your skills set that you, you know, the, the, your most preferred skills and all of that together creates a U map. But what the U map really does too, is through the values, it really creates a, it's a pathway for making decisions. Right. And I, I hear that. And what you're saying is that our values really dictate um, if we, tune into that guidance that we have instead, you know, not let it be filtered out through other people's perceptions or what we think they think or what they do, they want or whatever. If we stick to our, what our values are and use that as our guide, we can never go wrong in our mm-hmm. decisions. Right. Right. Then our story is always ours, right? Cause yeah. it has come out of, it has come out of us. Um, and we can, we can use those values um, and those sort of, those, those words and those phrases as we, as we tell our stories too. I think that's, that's a big, anyway, talk about this forever, but I know. Yes. (laughs) Where can people find you? Yeah. So, um, I am at www.marylandlegacylaw.com. Um, you can check out some things there. Again, if you're interested in chatting about some, some values based stuff as it relates to estate planning, um, uh, that information would be, uh, on my website. Um, and then if you, if you happen to be interested in the, um, in some, some ministry resources, um, or even a, a book about storytelling, um, that's at jenkidwell.com. So, um, I'll send those to you and you can include them if you'd like to. Awesome. And how about on social media? Um, I am mostly just on Facebook, uh, just myself. 
um, Jen Kidwell, you can, you can find me. Um, I, uh, it's a, I have a picture of, of me with my, my cute little ones. Um, so if you, if you need some, some kiddo joy, uh, they are, they are on my, on my Facebook feed from time to time, primarily where I am. Thank you so much for being here. I think this was a very much needed conversation that I'm glad to have brought to my listeners. So thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thank you for the invitation. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.